Hi, welcome to Behind the Sounds. Today I have with me the extraordinarily talented Audra May from Nashville. Welcome, thank you so much for being here virtually. How are you? How are things? I'm virtually fine. Um, thank you for having me on your new show. I love it. I love, I've discovered so many people. I mean, I've seen like a couple of people that I knew their music, but it's been really cool to discover new people. Oh, thank you so much. That is the plan. It's the best time I'm finding quarantine and this whole situation as crazy as it is. I think it's such a great time for new music and to discover new things because you have, well, a lot of people have so much more time on their hands. So um, that means a lot. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Um, so we, we have so much to get through. You have done so much in the last kind of 10 years or so. And literally, even when I was writing my notes today, I was like, there's so much to talk about. Um, but I want to kind of start up with how you, how you became a singer. Like, was it when you were a child, you were like, I want to grow up, I want to be on stage? Or like, was it a natural progression? How did you kind of realize that that was what you wanted to do? I don't remember a time where I wasn't singing. We have, my grandmother used to, my grandmother really was like, raised me mostly and she um she just always had my back but when I was two years old she started figuring out that I had this crazy memory and I could mimic sounds and recite things and sing on pitch and all this stuff and so she took a cassette tape recording of me doing like like nursery rhymes and little hymns and singing happy birthday and stuff like that. And I think her playing that for people and kind of like bragging on me <laughs> stuck with me so much that, um, I mean, so it was kind of both. Like I was naturally born singing, um, but also her positive influence since before really I have memories. I mean, I still have the cassette tape, wow. but I don't, I kind of remember like one of the uh, golden, you know, those nursery rhyme books, the children's books that have like the gold spine. Yeah. Yeah. Golden spine, Golden books. I think they're called. Um, I kind of remember the book that, that they came out of, but, but I don't really have like vivid memories of actually doing it. I have the proof that it happened, but it's just been ingrained in me since, since I was born. I've just always kind of, been doing it and grew up in music theater and always on stage and um it's my my happy place I guess you could say also I'm really sorry if my dog starts barking because I just saw the mailman come by and she thinks he's trying to kill us all the time oh she thinks the only reason he didn't kill us is because she barked so if she sees him I'm sorry <laughs> no worries okay Human nature, well, dog nature. <laughs> um, so literally kind of fast forwarding through everything, when did you kind of realize that I want to do this for a career, this is how I'm going to do it? Did you, were there anything like first steps that you thought I need to take these steps to, to kind of start my career? Oh, I, it was always, 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 always. I mean, even when I was like, I remember being like, maybe like eight years old, eight or nine, and making an entire like poster board presentation for my mother, begging her 
like this, these are the reasons why I think that we should move to Hollywood because I need to be on, you know, these shows. I need, we got to go talk to Nickelodeon. Like <laughs> we got to, you know, I grew up acting and singing way before I was writing anything. Mm. So I, I just all the time when I moved to LA, I had spent a year outside of Nashville going to college and I flunked out both semesters because all I did was write songs. So I just, I'm, I'm sort of wired. I am 100% built and wired for entertainment and <laughs> pretty much everything else. Um, I'm almost like below the naf the national average, <laughs> you know, I just can't, I, I work on it. I do my best, but, but I try not to be too hard on myself. Like, you know, just everything other than performing, writing, singing, entertaining, um, I'm, I'm not great at. <laughs> but you're so good at the performing and writing and entertaining. So there Amen. you go, it evens itself out. <laughs> so yeah. when did you officially make the move to LA? Uh, 2004, January, I think of 2004. And I was there for 13 years. Um, almost 14 and then came to Nashville um, from LA I wanted to move to Nashville five years earlier than I actually did mm. um, but on the hard to take but but good good to hear advice <laughs> of yeah. my team professionally um, I waited to move here so that I would be a little more established as a writer um, because even if you have friends in a town, if you don't live there, you're still kind of starting over when yeah. you move there, so. Definitely. Yeah. And so you kind of had a bit of a, your first few years, kind of from, from the release of your first EP, the first couple of years, almost from when you kind of look at how much you did, would it, was it a bit of a whirlwind for you, all of it? Did it seem to happen very quickly, kind of releasing the music and... Being, I don't know if you toured or did everything happen quickly or did it feel like a bit of a, a bit of a slug almost? Looking back, it was fast. Mm -hmm. But while it was happening, it felt very like I mean, when you know who you are and what you're built for, and you you just can see exactly where you want to go. Yeah, every little step feels like it's taking too long, too long, too long. You know, like come on, come on, come on. Like you're just especially in the beginning, you're, you're, you're trying so much to just get the crap out of the way mm -hmm. so that you can get to where you want to go. So it, you know, hindsight, it happened quick, you know, but while it was happening, also I was really young. I moved to LA when I was 19, I was about to turn 20. Mm -hmm. And I think you know at that age everything is happening too slow it's like come on life where are you come to, you know meet me halfway so um in hindsight it happened really quickly but it always feels like it's you know when you're in it you it always seems like it's taking longer time is weird like that you know yeah definitely and you kind of say you had a vision of where you wanted to be so in a nutshell what was that was there what was the goal? Was it just to kind of get a song on the radio or go on tour? Or was there anything in particular that was like, that's going to be where I end up? 
it, it was more like uh, fast forwarding in my brain to, to, I mean, I have known, I used to tell people when I was four years old, exactly what I was going to do. <laughs> I mean, so it wasn't so much like the goal is to make a record or to go on a tour or whatever. It was just like, the goal is to be um, paying all my bills by doing what I love and also that other people enjoy it. <laughs> like that people like it and, and want to want to hear what I have to sing about or say or whatever. So it wasn't so much like a tangible goal as much as it was like a lifestyle goal. Like it's never really bothered me about, I don't bother myself with exact, you know, plans or things like that. It's just more like, um, I'm going to die if I have to keep doing this day job thing. Like I can't like, I, my whole brain would shut down and I worked at a great place. It was just like, I would go to work and not even remember half of the day because I'm staring out the window daydreaming. It was like it was when I was in school, you know, yeah. I've always been able to kind of listen and absorb information and then kind of fake my way through a test or a whatever, try to be like, I don't know, I guess. So I, I somehow didn't get bad grades. You know, I didn't get, fi I only got fired once. I, you know, and th even then it was just because I was like, I, I was sort of like being like Joan of Arc about, like I was fighting for justice. <laughs> <laughs> they were like, you're gone. Like, we don't need you here. We need you to, you know, follow orders, not, not like rebel. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I, as far as specific goals go, it was more just like to be completely self-sufficient, independent, supporting myself, making art the way I want to. Um, and that, that kind of stuff can't happen overnight. Um, and I'm, I'm pretty close to there. I mean, I'm financially, I don't have a day job or anything, but um, mm -hmm. um, it's just been in the past two years since moving to Nashville that I've been really prolific as an artist on my own terms, the way I see the vision happening. Also, obviously collaborating with other people. Yeah. The way that, you know, we have a common goal or a common vision. You know, this past two years has really been when it came to fruition. And I'm 36, so that means, what, 17 years? Yeah. Most of just like really being like, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. <laughs> please, <laughs> please, please. Over and over again. But yeah. eventually, you know, you just keep going. And one day you kind of knock your head into where you're going. And you're like, oh, my God, I'm here. Okay. Now yeah. what? So I feel like the fun part just started. Amazing. Um, so we're, we're going to talk about, obviously, songwriting and being in Nashville. But kind of before we get to, like, that stage, obviously, when you moved and things, uh, as a, obviously, solo artist, you had, you know, EPs and you released your own music. But a lot of your kind of, I suppose, recognition in the past, I mean, kind of 2013, came from you being a guest vocalist on singles, uh, working with people like 
uh, Avicii and Flowrider. What was that like for you as kind of going from working on your own to working with these huge artists and just having your music on this massive platform? Well, I grew up in music theater. So taking direction and collaborating comes naturally to me, you know, going in and I've been writing songs for a long time professionally too at that point. So going in to work with um, Avicii with Tim was, was really easy. I mean, he, first of all, I had no idea anything about um, EDM, the dance world, I was not, I, I wasn't aware. All my friends were. Yeah. But I just wasn't a part of it. I wasn't like, I just didn't feel um, like I was, I wasn't really relating to it very much, you know? I didn't understand what the magic of it was. Right, yeah. And so when I went in to work with Tim, I had no idea who he was. I just knew that my publisher at the time had called me last minute and said, hey, can you be at this studio at like eight o'clock tonight? Because there's this guy, he's in town and he's like this really great dance artist and um, he's like an amazing EDM producer. And, and I was like, I mean, sure. I have to take my sister to work, but so can I be there at nine instead? Like, so, so I went and, and went to the studio and he was just so sweet, so nice and really um, curious and just insatiable curiosity and just like relentless um, search for ideas. And when he would get an idea, it would pop into his head like the whole song all at once, like a whole part all at once. And he would sit down and grind it out for as long as it took. But the part would never change. Like, he would sing it in the room. He'd be like, it goes like this, you know. And I'd be like, okay. And then go over to the keyboard and painstakingly, like, get it out, you know, write it out and get it done for, like, as, as long as it took. Sometimes hours. And he never forgot what the original idea was. So it was thrilling it was I felt very at home because he was so nice it wasn't like uh you know a lot of people are creepy and weird yeah. he was the opposite of that yeah um, and he was just really sweet so that it was every time I got to work with him it was a joy it was wonderful he, he was so special <clears throat> yeah indeed. do you know how he found you like was it he cool he was like I want this voice or I want this I want to write with this girl yeah he was working with uh, a man named Nick Groff who's incredible uh he was I think A&R maybe at I can't remember where at the time um but he had asked Nick and told Nick that he wanted to work with songwriters who could also sing because he had this idea for this project and so Nick Mm -hmm. sent him a bunch of stuff and that's how he found a lot of people. Yeah. Uh, me and Mac Davis, who wrote Addicted to You. Um, and I'm assuming a lot of a lot of different people that he collaborated with. But he was it was because of Nick. Amazing. And obviously, so you it was his debut album that 
you kind of featured heavily on. Did he or did you know even how big it was all going to be? Because he blew up. It was, it must have been huge for you. I had no idea at all because like I said, I just wasn't privy to any of that. And so we went, he asked everyone involved in that record to go to Ultra Music Fest in Miami with him. Yeah. He was opening for, I want to say he was like, it was the main stage and he was like second to last that night on the main stage. I can't remember who was going on after him, like Daft Punk or something. Someone like huge. He knew, he knew, I mean, he, he was so aware. He knew his fans. He knew that genre. He lived and breathed it. I mean, he worked so much. He was always working. If he wasn't on his computer doing something on the way to a show, he was doing a show. Or, you know, yeah. if he would get sick, he would be doing, you know, he'd be in the hospital doing it. He knew way more than, than obviously, than I had. I had no idea. Um, but we went and and played that festival with him. And the first half of his set was his, like, um, what would you call him? Like the, the, what do they call him? The six pack or the eight pack, the three pack, whatever, like your, yeah. your big hits. And then the second half of the set was his new record. Mm. And he knew, I mean, while we were walking after the show, walking back to the dressing rooms, I could hear him talking to one of his really good friends. And he was saying, I mean, he, he exactly called out exactly what was gonna happen. He knew it. Amazing. He, he, and I think that's part of why he was so loved by his fans. I think people can sense that. Yeah. Someone is sincere and genuine and they're there for you, the fan, not for themselves so they can seem cool. Like he was so there for them. They just had a, there's, it's rare that a, an artist and their fans are that. It reminds me of like John Bellion. They have the same kind of like, he uh, knows his fans. They have a trusted bond <laughs> and he doesn't violate that. And, yeah. and because of that, they appreciate whatever new idea, innovative thing he's trying to bring to the table. So people, it's such a joy to work with people like that who just, I learned so much from that. I'm still kind of like, where are my, who are my fans? How do I get, and you know, how do I let them know that I love them if I don't know who they are, you know? But they, he, Tim just knew stuff. He was, he had a lot of foresight. Yeah, amazing. And how did it change things for you from going to kind of, Obviously, because you wrote a lot of the songs as well as being a featured vocalist. So did it change things for you in the fact, were you getting more calls? Were you getting more kind of people that wanted to write with you? Yeah. Yeah. Did it all kind of take off then or was it not that much change? It was kind of uh, the first cut I ever got, the first song I ever wrote that, that someone else sang was a few years before that. And so... It, it was a, it was a steady mm-hmm. kind of, you know, but that year in particular was a lot of things happened that year. So it was a combination of, you know, 
working with Tim, Tim's music coming out, getting, you know, songwriting credits on other people's stuff, having people cover my songs and put them on their records and yeah. all that kind of, so it was, that was a really big year. And I'd also gone on this road trip. Cause like I said, I wanted to move to Nashville five years before I actually did. Mm-hmm. And when everyone was like, don't do that. Uh, I, it broke my heart. And so I said, okay, fine. Well then I'm going to go on this road trip by myself. I'm going to go all over the South in the U S like find out where the blues came from. I'm going to go follow, go to all the places where my favorite blues artists, uh, are from. And so those songs were coming out while I was on that road trip by myself. Yeah. Got a different, I'm sure it was huge, but I wasn't there to, to, be invited to the cool party to do yeah. the thing, um, which was very healthy for me. Um, and so I kind of, I got to experience it on a really personal, almost like spiritual <laughs> level because I was alone in my car driving around, you know, the country. And so every time one of those songs would come out, it was like, oh yeah, another song's out. Well, let me go listen to it. You know, it yeah. was really, it felt really intimate. That's really good. And I think the fact that you kind of appreciate that you weren't there for all the parties and things. It, yeah. it, I, I suppose, do you feel like you have a different relationship with the music because of that? Yes. I, I feel like it got to be mine. Yeah. That experience, got, I have a, it doesn't, I didn't feel like it was everyone else's. Mm-hmm to like kind of come in and be like, well, I always knew you were going to be a bang star one day, you know, <laughs> like that's nice when people say that, but at the same time, if that's all you're hearing and you don't have any time with just you and that you and yourself and that music to, to soak it up and really be grateful and remember and go back in your mind and like have those moments alone mm-hmm. for me at least I can only speak for myself. Um, then it can feel, that's, I think, when it starts to feel like you're being swept up in a whirlwind because it doesn't feel like it's yours or like you don't have time to, to really experience it or appreciate it. Let it, let it sink into your heart and make it real. Yeah. It's so easy. Like, you know, you, you have some cool thing happen and then you go to the cool party where people say, yeah, you had a cool thing happen, right? <laughs> And then you come home and, and you got the same trash in your trash can. Uh. Same laundry in your laundry basket. You are exactly the same. Mm-hmm. So you don't have time to process what's happening or what just happened. Um, I think for a lot of people, it can feel almost like a letdown. Like, but I thought my whole life was supposed to change. I thought it was, people used to tell me that all the time. You have no idea. Your whole, it's just going to change your whole life and I would always say how and they'd go well you just don't even know and I'm like yeah I don't do you know like can you tell me how this is going to change my life because I'd like to prepare for it (laughs) if there's something I can do they never know what they're you know they're just saying you just wait everything's (laughs) going to be different guess what it's not yeah (laughs) and at this point were you because obviously, as I said, you, you both sang and wrote on, on the album. And as you were saying, you had kind of quite a few co-writes at that time. Was there, was there anything in particular you were focusing on? Was it 
right, I'm going to focus on my writing at this point, or I'm going to focus on releasing my own music, or was it just kind of... No, I've, I've always done both. I've, I am the type of person that if I'm not doing more than one thing at a time, I'm doing nothing. I, it's really hard for me. And I know there's whole books written about how you shouldn't do that. <laughs> <laughs> but I've, I have many times tried to do it the other way and that's just not how my brain is wired yeah. um as a matter of fact i it's the exact opposite i'm 10 times more uh, prolific and uh inspired and just lit up with what i'm doing when i'm not sitting around and going like oh, one yeah. thing is this one thing because you know especially when it comes to creativity you know Sometimes you, you, you hit the end of that road for the day, right there. But yeah. it feels so good to have something going on that if you've got like a book you're reading or a, something else you're trying to write or a TV show you're trying to catch up on or whatever, you can kind of bounce, distract your mind, even just like sweeping the floor can help you distract your mind to let more ideas come in. Yeah. If I'm just sitting trying to focus on one thing, it's like it creates this wall where inspiration can't get in. You know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. And um, and it obviously did well for you because you have written for some amazing people. Um, to name a few, Christina Aguilera, Kelly Clarkson, Celine Dion. <laughs> um, what has... Is there been anyone in particular, because um, we're going to talk about Miranda Lambert as well, which is a kind of different story in itself because you had already released a song, but is there anyone that you've written for or with for that matter that has just been like, oh my gosh, that happened? Celine beyond, beyond. <laughs> there, uh, there's no, I don't know, I, I, I can't imagine I'm not saying it's impossible, but I can't imagine um, like that experience being beaten out by any other mm -hmm. writing experience in my life. I, she was so, I got to meet her. They like said I could come to the studio and she was recording it. I was, I, I called my mentor and said, do you think I should go? And she was like, yes, are you crazy? You know? I'm like, well, they kind of just felt like, yeah, you can come if you want. She's like, who cares? Go, go. So, so I went and she was, she walked in in a cream colored suit with all gold jewelry. She was a vision. She smelled <laughs> like heaven. She was the prettiest woman I've ever seen about it. <laughs> even thinking about it. She came in, hello everyone, hello everyone. Just so regal and lovely and and um everyone stood up and I kinda like <laughs> cowered. I I went and hid by like one of the speakers or something in the studio. <clears throat> and um she called me out. She said, Where's the singer? Where's this like where is she? Everyone moved out of the way. I was like, hmm. <laughs> you know. um, and she said, come over here and, and was so sweet to me and just said the nicest things. 
the nicest things to me and she she asked she would like ask me what I thought about stuff or if she was having an issue in any place she'd be like wait where's Audra Audra what do you th what do you think I should do and I'll never know for the rest of my life whether she was just humoring me <laughs> like trying to make me um think I would knew you know what I mean she's yeah. that nice that she might do something like that but I took two things from it that really blew blew me away one was that she will go into a studio and the first thing she does, instead of like singing the song, the first thing she does is she goes to the part of the song that she feels the least confident about. Mm -hmm. And she messes up on purpose over and over and over again. So, yeah. so that she'll never mess up again. So she goes, she leads with the mess up. She leads with the, uh, this might be a part where I'm might, it's, I'm, I'm the least confident here. She'll go into that part and like, let her voice crack, let herself miss it. Let herself be on purpose, like consciously okay. until she irons that little wrinkle out. And then she's like, okay, let's start, start me at the beginning. And then she never messes up ever, ever again. And that was like very profound. Like lead with the mess up. Don't be afraid to mess up. As a matter of fact, mess up on purpose. And then you're in charge of the, of the failure or whatever. Like if you're consciously doing it. And the other thing was like how sweet her husband was to her. Mm. He just was so sweet. And he was like this big guy. And there was a, a moment where she was sitting on the floor in the live room of the studio they had this big microphone that they had like moved down like like a you know crane mm. to be right in front of her and she was sitting there and it was kind of cold and she didn't even complain that it was cold she just you could tell she was kind of chilly yeah. and he just without even saying a word just went in there and took his jacket off and put it around her and so she was just like sitting with this like suit jacket of like big suit jacket oh. and microphone it was really sweet I thought that, that looks like something worth waiting for there right there definitely oh I mean it must have been obviously a dream working with her and, and writing for her but how how did the song get to her was it written for her or what, did someone hear it and say, right, this is for her? One of them, there was two of them. I think the up-tempo one, Somebody Loves Somebody, I think when we wrote that, we had her in mind. And I think it was because she already liked this other one that was a ballad called Breakaway, which we wrote way before mm. um, we even knew. I mean, it was probably like a year or two before. Um uh, and I assume she heard about it from her her A and R at um, Columbia. I think is where she was at the time. Um, he was wonderful, and and um, so I think also the the guys that I wrote that I wrote those songs with were a Swedish trio of writer producers called Play Production. Yeah. So I think they had a, a relationship kind of with her. They kind of had the in. And we had worked together multiple times. And so it was really good of them to bring me in and, and, and all that. But 
it definitely wasn't me. I definitely didn't like call her up like, hey, what up? Yeah. I mean, I'm sure you could now though. Have you, uh, has there been any kind of song since which you think, oh yeah, that would be, that would suit her. Maybe, maybe I'll just give her a ring. There have been a million and usually, you know, you just try to send them in, but, but there are so many writers and every year it's like, I mean, maybe even every quarter. It's probably different now because of the lockdown and everything, but so many new people are getting signed all the time, all the time. So um, if you're you're an artist that doesn't like writing, um, you're you're not going to want to, you're probably not going to want to work, especially if you're Celine Dion, (laughs) with the same people over and over again because you want to stay relevant and you want to stay fresh and, you know, you don't want to get stuck in like a crew that doesn't you know know everybody else in the industry she's been so brilliant in the way that she's um branched out and allowed for different influences and different writers and singers to come in and if she weren't like that I never would have got to write with her yeah so you know I mean two songs on a Celine Dion record I figure that's pretty good. <laughs> if she ever wants to write again, she knows where to find me. That's all right. But <laughs> but I think you've hit the nail on the head there as well by saying like she's one of these artists that no matter, I mean, she's been around for, for decades and she, she still will release an album and it will be as relevant today and it will fit in. And I think she, well, I mean, as you know, she's just incredible. So I, I think for you, what an amazing experience to have had and to just amazing. Um, so I obviously said to you before, we're going to talk quite a bit about Miranda Lambert um, and your experience with her because you had released the song Little Red Wagon um, on one of your own albums. And in 2015, it was released on her platinum album, came out as a single and was a huge single for her, top 20 hit. Um, what's the story of that song? So when you kind of, first wrote it and released it and then how did it get to Miranda all those years it here's the story of that song I was watching a documentary about summer camp Mm -hmm. and there were all these little boys marching with their camp counselor singing this cadence which I found out years later is actually like a military cadence like uh for the marines you can't ride in my little red wagon you know then they'd be like the front wheels broken and the axles dragging okay i could not get it out of my head and i was making this album at the time with a bunch of friends of mine it was this amazing collaborative experience called audra may and the almighty sound so so uh my friend joe ginsburg we would work together almost every day. He, he lived down the street from me at the time in LA. And so he'd walk up to my house and we would just sit around and noodle around and think about like ideas and stuff. And um, I said, I got this one and it just keeps, it's in my head, it won't stop. And we worked on that thing for, I wanna say like maybe three different times that we were writing together. I keep knocking my guitar. Um, and, uh, I just, it kept itching at me. We didn't have a verse. We didn't have anything. We just had this chorus over and over again. And and one day I said, you know what? Here's what we need to do. We need to get in Goldie. Goldie was my car at the time. Yeah. Um, 
Dodge Dart. She was gold with a black vinyl top. And she was like my best friend. And I said, we need to get into Goldie and we need to just go cruise the Sunset Strip back and forth. We'll just drive real slow. We'll keep going back and forth. I'll drive, you play. He's like, great. So, um, so we did. And so we would be, we would be, I'd be like tapping out rhythms and stuff on the steering wheel. And he's like playing the guitar in the front seat and we'd hit stoplights and look over and people would be like, <laughs> what the hell are they doing? Um, and by the time we got home, we had the whole song. Amazing. And it just was like, I just was ex- describing exactly where we were and what I was wearing and what was happening. I was like, you only love me for my big sunglasses and my Tony Lomas, my boots I had on, and my Dodge Dart Classic and all this shit. And what's funny is um, I always saw it as this story about like, you know, whenever you see somebody kind of on their way, they start to kind of shine a little bit different and glow a little bit different. And people notice them walking around. You start to keep that, that like rock star vibe about you. And that's when everybody wants to come on and be a part of your, ride your coattails. Yeah. But you don't have your shit together all the way yet. You're, you know, the front wheel's broken and the axle's broken. You can't, you can't bring these people with you. You don't need you know, June Carter and, and Johnny Cash, you know, it took them a long time for their lives to match up to where it made sense for them to be together. So like there's lyrics in there. And anyway, um, I put the record out. We all loved it. We played one show. We played our record release show and we never played another show again. Um, the whole band fell apart. Um, and, uh, And then I started getting these sort of like whispers, you know, little calls from people uh, in Nashville saying, you know, everybody here is really loving your record. And I'm like, really? Because no one in LA gave crap about it. Like nobody cared. They, they only cared if something sold 10 million, whatever. Mm -hmm. So um, to me, it was like, there's a place in the world that loves this thing that I did. Oh my God. And so I was so flattered. And then I started getting calls going, I think Miranda Lambert kind of likes your stuff. And I'm like, man, she's cool. She's like one of the coolest chicks in country music. Great. Listen, can you hear that? It's the ice cream man. Um, anyway, um, don't worry. He's got a mask on. Um, anyway, so she eventually, um, sang it. She's someone at an award show uh, at the time talked to someone else and then they got it to her and then she did it and then, you know, blah, 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 blah. Mm. So that was, that was really, really cool. Once she sang it, then there, there was a lot more visibility on that song itself. Um, and that's when I started getting all these like people calling, wanting to know about this song um, and like the sexual innuendo of it. Yeah. And I was like, what? Like, I don't know who wants to have anything to do, you know, with like, I mean, I personally don't want to make love to anybody who's got a broken axle and a front wheel falling (laughs) off. Because I feel like maybe they need some time to heal 
<laughs> between whatever has just happened to their little red whack. And I mean, it was like insane. I couldn't believe how many people were like, so what's that song about? Yeah. I, was, uh, I don't know. It made me feel icky. But, <laughs> but, you know, she really fought for that song and she and her manager really fought to try to get it on the radio and um and i got to see her sing it at the grammys one year and and then you know when taylor swift was doing her huge tour where she would bring people on stage she and taylor swift sang it at like some venue somewhere and so that that little song was like the little engine that could like that song has made it into so many people's ears it's incredible yeah i have to say that is one of my favorite Grammy's performances ever with her. And she just came out and in that little cat suit with the, it was just, everything about it was just so Miranda, but so that song. And yeah. it seemed to fit perfectly. And we like over here in the UK, they don't show the full Grammy. So they didn't show that performance because they never show the country performances. But uh-huh. I had seen it on YouTube and I was like, how was this not like the most talked about performance? Because the way she'd come on set, it was like she was an, almost like a new person. It was like some kind of... Yeah, it was like a reveal or something. Yeah, it yeah. was just incredible. And I remember, full disclosure, I hadn't heard the song before Miranda had sung it. And I remember being like, who wrote this song? And then realizing that it was your song. And it was just like, how amazing that, and it was quite a few years later as well. So it kind of went from being your in you know, your baby to like this whole, as you say, it was huge. Yeah, it was really cool. Amazing. Um, <laughs> and did that kind of was that something else that kick started your obviously you wanted to move to Nashville, but was that something that you kind of realised then, like people were responding to me here, that's where I need to be. When did you make the move? I moved in 2017 so i finally moved into this house in 2018 april 2018 so i've only been here a couple years um but i had a whole i you know i'd been coming to nashville for so long to write and the reason i wanted to move here wasn't because um people liked that record it was more because like people here are like me, which is probably why people liked that record here, you know? Yeah. But but I just, I relate so much to storytellers and people who want to sit around a fire all night and tell stories about everything. But, you know, stories about uh, people that you would never, you're never going to meet in your whole life because they're, they're like somebody's grandma's auntie. It's like, oh man, I gotta tell you this story that happened. Okay, so it's like 1975, I wasn't born yet, but my grandma told me this crazy story, you gotta hear it. Yeah. You know, like the people here are like addicts of mm-hmm. stories. We're like story junkies. We just wanna like talk and connect and communicate and, and love on each other. And the difference between here and LA for me was that like, I had friends in LA that were, that I was really close with, but not so much in the industry, not so much in, I mean, close enough. We were, you know, friends, friendly and, and we loved each other, 
but out here it's like people will ask you like how your grandma's doing and how are your nieces and nephews and they know their names and they they you know they care on a deeper level about you as a human yeah you know that when it comes to like what you're doing with your music it's almost considered rude mm-hmm. to to bring all that up or talk about that too much which i have a hard time with because i want to like gush all over everyone like when someone does something cool i want to be like oh my god that was so cool you did that thing and i can see them kind of like being like thanks a lot yeah. <laughs> so i'm still learning about that but i just yeah yeah it's i it's my favorite place on earth so yes i'm with you on that the people of nashville and every single person i've spoken to during this has said the same thing about how kind the people are and how much they care and you know i love that you have related to that in so many ways too so um something that very cool that has happened in the last six months and while you've been in that house um is this may's midnight classics which is is it going to be an album so give give kind of anyone that doesn't know give us a, a brief understanding of what it is Okay, so Miss May's Midnight Classics is a year-long tribute, one song every month, 12 songs, year-long, uh, tribute to, to these writers and performers of these songs that have stuck with me, like, my whole life. And um, I recorded it. They're very... Every song is very patient and feels very noir and like after dark like if you listen to the to these at noon they're probably going to feel kind of slow to you you kind of want to listen to them at night you know time bends (laughs) after like a glass of wine and you know whatever um they these songs came to me in dreams and you know one of them woke me up out of a dead sleep out of I mean completely asleep and then just like (gasps) like I have to cover this song you know um they were for two years I've been working on this with one of my best you know friends and collaborators his name's Sean McConnell yeah which if you do you know his music you should yeah I definitely do big fan big fan yeah and we've worked together for a long long time when these songs started kind of grabbing me, coming up to me and poking me in the back of the neck and, you know, um, tickling my feet. Um, They, I just knew I couldn't do them by myself, but that I, but that they wouldn't, it wouldn't work if I did them with anyone who wouldn't let me lead. And, you know, a lot of times producers, they just don't feel comfortable letting an artist lead it's almost like it makes them feel inadequate in some Mm -hmm. way um and so but sean's not like that and so um once he agreed to see if maybe we wanted to work together on it he would come by the house we recorded it here yeah um he would come by and set up the mic the first day he put the mic on the piano and another mic a vocal mic you know and i said oh i can't play this and sing it at the same time right he said, okay, well, um, then how do you want to do it? 
And I said, well, I guess we should do the piano first. And he said, okay, which one do you want to do first? And I, I, I was like, uh, he goes, do you want to do it with a click track? I go, no, it's got a jazz speedy emotion, you know, running it. He goes, okay, which one do you want to do first? And I was like, I have to play these and sing these at the same time, don't I? And he goes, okay, which one do you want to do first? <laughs> so that's kind of how it started. He would come over, we would try to like knock out as many in a row as we could. We would do like three, four different full takes of each song and move on to the next song, like not even try to think about it. So, um, so they're like full from beginning to end, live piano vocal bones that we have for this thing. And then I'm looking at it going, okay, these are 12 songs that are like, if I put this all out as an album, all at once it's gonna feel like a big lead balloon it's a lot to ask people to sit down and listen to this you know It'll, it kind of can suck the life out of you if you don't know what you're getting yourself into you know if you're not if, if it's not your choice mm -hmm. so um i was writing probably like a year later i'm still working still working on them and um i was writing with a guy named jake scott he's another singer songwriter he's out of la but he was in nashville Mm -hmm. for a writing trip and he said well you got 12 songs why don't you just put one out every month I was like you're a genius you know so that's when it, that's when it really started kind of coming together yeah um, in the meantime Sean had taken them back to his home studio in the country and just started like he says pulling threads you know just just adding things you know here and there trying to see what it could use if it wanted anything like maybe we don't put anything else on it maybe we you know really took our time with it mostly because i was busy doing other things and he was really busy doing other things he was yeah. a, he, you know he's a very prolific touring artist he's a father and a husband you know he has a very rich life mm. um and so he was busy doing other things as well so in the end we have these 12 songs that I, obviously we had no idea that they were going to hit now in the middle of a quarantine. Mm. Um, and looking at them now, it's really interesting how the timing has, um, it's very serendipitous, um, the timing of everything. We put... The first song is Bob Dylan's uh, The Times They Are Changing, and it came out New Year's Eve 2020. Yeah. And I I knew that was the right thing to do. I didn't understand. I'm still, every day, it, it you know, kind of hits me deeper and deeper, like, wow, holy shit. I can't believe we, I can't believe we, um, I mean, we worked on it for so long. It's incredible the timing of it it's yeah emotional that's amazing <laughs> about it um so the last one you released was was a cover of reba which was just like goosebumps head to toe um are we allowed to know any of the upcoming songs or is it hush hush oh uh, i love this question um yeah why not i mean <laughs> i figure you know, you got the guts to hit people up and try to talk to them. You deserve, you, you, ought, to get, you ought to get the goods. I'll take it. So next month, um, 
in honor of the Tonys uh, not happening because of Corona. <laughs> um, we are putting out our version of a song called Nowadays from the musical Chicago. Um, it's very sarcastic and and drippy and kind of like there's a little bit of a brat in there but you know but it's but it's not temper tantrum it's very like feels like um being hung over after like a bender uh, but but in a sexy way if that could ever be sexy <laughs> no you know, I, I Instagram model way. Uh, like, yeah, oh, I'm so hung over. <laughs> but yeah. you, what a treat for me, particularly. Chicago is one of my favorite musicals, so that'll be. I'm excited to hear that. Um, it, I'm very much looking forward to it. Well, I'll send it to you when we get off of Zoom. Yes. Yeah. Oh, please do. Um, so we have to kind of wrap things up now. Um, and I've got a couple of quick fire questions for you, uh, but if you are happy to, would you like to play us a little song first? Sure, sure. Okay, let's see. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, this is one of the first songs that I ever uh, wrote that wasn't from personal experience, just kind of downloaded into my brain. Um, and it's called The River. And I chose to play this uh, for all of your viewers because I think when you have to be sitting alone with your feelings and your memories, it's really easy to fall into a place of shame and just and it's 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 human nature and it's natural but you just remember that you know miss may said it's okay and you don't have to feel ashamed it's okay oh i love that i done a bad thing it's okay i'm going down to the river today and the river's gonna wash my sins away Till I'm born again tomorrow Water get over my head Make me forget my sorrow I'm going down to the river alone Don't tell mama and daddy I'm gone and if they cry when I don't come home, well, just lie and tell them I'm funny. Water, get out of my eyes into the river wide. I'm running and I can't swim, but it's all right. Cause all my sin would drag me down even if I could. And if it weren't for him and the love that night, I'd be living for the light like a good girl should. 
as a good girl should. When I meet the Lord so kindly, I'm gonna give him a piece of my mind. I'll tell him I wanna know why, oh why, if he's so damn forgiven. My daddy won't look in my eyes, and mama knows the lies I'm living. Ooh, and I can't swim, but it's alright. So my sin would drag me down, even if I could. And if it weren't for him and the love that night, I'd be living for the light like a good girl should. Was a good girl should. Amazing. Thank you so much, though. I loved that. And Thank I think. I love that you chose a song that's so relevant to, to what's going on and, and to how people might be feeling. So thank you for sharing. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. Right. So before we finish, finish up um, with another song, Lucky Us, uh, I have three questions for you. Same three questions I ask everyone. Okay. Um, so quick fire, three songs you wish you'd written. Rainbow by Casey Musgraves, Natalie Hemby, and Shane McAnally, and possibly Ian Fitchick, but I can't remember who else. Maybe Daniel Tashin. Um, Crazy by Patsy Cline, and um, Feeling Good. No, sorry, Everything Must Change by Nina Simone. Oh, that was, oh, yes. I love how quick that was as well. It's like you, you really know. I'm surprised. <laughs> <laughs> Shocked. <laughs> Um, and now, uh, I always think this is a tough one. If you could never write a song again or never sing on stage again, what would you pick? What do you mean? So you could, if you could only ever write songs or you could only ever sing on stage, couldn't do both, which one would you do? I don't think I could. I mean, that's like asking right hand or left hand, which would be cut off. <laughs> They come know. hand to hand, that's why I ask, because it's a, it's a... I think they feed each other. It's like the chicken and the egg. I can't, I can't separate them. I like that. I, I like couldn't. that. <laughs> um, and three writers who you haven't yet written with, who you'd love to write with. Oh, God. And they can be anyone. I mean, we've had literally, the spectrum is endless. Um... This is the hardest, like, why is this the hardest one? <laughs> um, uh, uh, oh my God, I don't know. I guess, I guess, like, I would want to write with, um, um, it's, you know, I'm spoiled because I've gotten to write with so yeah. many, and so many of them are, like, my friends that I'm, like, uh, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with like um, people who have passed away. So Bill Withers mm -hmm. and um, uh, also Dolly Parton mm -hmm. 
and um, and um, uh, Quincy Jones. Oh, that's a good range. I like that. Thanks. Especially <laughs> <laughs> Dolly. I mean, everything about Dolly is just everything. She's everything. It's so fun to write a song with her. Oh, I, I mean, just to be in the same room as her, I think, yes. feel, you know, amazing. <laughs> um, yeah. Anyway, right. So thank you so, so much for, for doing this and for being here. Um, I know you're out with, with another song. Um, all of the Midnight Classics are available to download now so far. The new one will be out in June. Um, so thank you so much. And I look thank forward you. to song. Really, thank you so much for having me. All right, let me try to... Okay, this is on Midnight Classics. This one came out in March. Um, you'll know which one it is. I get up in the evening And I ain't got nothing to say I come home in the morning And I go to bed feeling the same way And I ain't nothing but tired just tired and bored with myself. Hey there, baby. I could use just a little help. You can't start a fire. You can't start a fire without a spark. This gun's for hire. Even if we're just dancing in the dark, message keeps getting clearer. Radio's on and I'm moving around the place. I check my look in the mirror. And I wanna change my clothes, my hair, my face. Man, I ain't getting nowhere. Just living in a dump like this. There's something happening somewhere. I just know that there is. Can't start a fire. Can't start a fire without a spark. This gun's for hire. Even if we're just dancing in the dark. Sit around getting older. There's a joke here somewhere, and it's on me. But I'll shake this world off my shoulders. Come on, baby, this laughs on me. Stay on the streets of this town. They'll be carving you up all right. Say you gotta stay hungry. Yeah, well, I'm just about starving tonight. I'm dying for 
course of action. And I'm sick of sitting around here trying to write this book. I need a love reaction. So come on and give me just one look. Can't start a fire. Sitting around crying over a broken heart. This gun's for hire. Even if we're just dancing in the dark, you can't start a fire. Worrying about your little world falling apart. This gun's for hire. Even if we're just dancing in the dark. Hey there, babe.